Welcome today. Our guest is Beth Gibbs. And Beth just pinpointed something that I've been really thinking about recently. And we just took it apart piece by piece in a very fun, humorous, and vital way. And that is, how is it that we come to be ourselves completely, our authentic, real self? And how do we come to accept that person inside of us? How do we come to love that person inside of us? How do we come to allow imperfection? And I think one of the reasons it's been on my mind is because like all of us, I have some difficult relationships. I have people that are hurting me or I've hurt them, or we're taking a break from each other, or we're trying to work through it. I think we all have these in our life. If we're being authentic and not just kind of pretending everything is okay or ejecting completely from the relationship. So I think it's a very normal human thing, but I constantly question Was I nice enough? Was I kind enough? Did I say it the right way? Did I stuff too much down? So then a volcano comes out and the next thing I know, I've said something that's highly inappropriate and I regret and I have to apologize. There's like this moving target of, you know, would a yogi act this way or a yoga person act this way? Or should I be nicer? Should I be just say what I think? And Beth just breaks it down into three simple stages. And I love that. It's her next book that's coming out. Her next book is called Bitchcraft. (laughs) Sassy and self-aware. I can't wait for this book. It's coming out in 2024. And it really breaks down how to be you, how to bring your full self, how to live a vital life where you're not repressing everything, to be real, to be authentic, to let yourself be imperfect and eventually to observe yourself as the witness long enough to know when you don't want to go there and there's going to be consequences that are going to be painful and therefore you decide not to say exactly what you're thinking at every given moment. So I just think this idea of bringing your whole self is such a wonderful gift that yoga can help us find within ourselves. And then in the end, where does that lead us in life? It leads us to a life that is full of vitality and honesty and authenticity and joy and bliss and suffering and pain and being imperfect until the moment, as Beth says, she just wants to keel over, have a lot of fun and do everything she needs to do in this life. And then boom, one day she's out, (laughs) hopefully at around a hundred. So I think you will enjoy this interview. I laughed a lot because she's a very, very funny woman, but she's also a very serious woman that has something important to share with us. I think you're going to enjoy this one immensely as I did. P.S. One note, if you're listening to this podcast at home or with your kids and you don't want them to hear a cuss word, you might want to listen to this episode at a different time. So just a little warning to make sure that it's family friendly, if that matters to you. 
Welcome to the Yoga Therapy Hour. My name is Amy Wheeler and I'm your host. The Yoga Therapy Hour is here to support you on your mental, emotional, and spiritual journey. We talk about things like nervous system regulation, spiritual connection, how to be more involved in your community, how to communicate well, how to manage your mental health. There are so many things that we are excited to share with you in season five of the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast. And we hope that you will share it with your friends, family, colleagues. All right, let's get into today's episode. Today, I welcome Beth Gibbs to the podcast. Welcome, Beth. Thank you. Good to be here. So Beth, we're just meeting and, you know, a lot of my podcast guests I've known for a long time and there's banter and there's a foundation of relationship, but you and I are just meeting and I want to acknowledge that because I'm going to be learning about you and what you do and how you are of service to the world, along with all of our listeners. How great. (laughs) Uh, Beth, you are an author, a yoga teacher, a self-awareness trainer. And you do a lot of work with kids, which I'm really excited to talk about too. And you've been trained and you are a faculty at Kripalu, it sounds like. Yes. Still after all these years and all the changes. And the books you've written, one of them is called Enlighten Up. Mm -hmm. The other, The Elephant Yogi, are those children's Mm -hmm. books? The Elephant Yogi one that I wrote because of my experience at Camp Current, because I started the yoga program there while I was executive director, and that was in 1999. And I would listen to the kids. We would teach them basic yoga postures and so forth. And they would actually confirm things that I already knew, like that forward bends relax, because the kids would come up from a forward bend and they would say, wow, miss, that was relaxing. And so we heard all these things. And I thought, I think we have a curriculum here. We could write a book for, you know, for kids that they can use on their own or that parents can use with them. So some of the stories in the book are actually based on kids that I've known and worked with. So, yeah. Can you remember any short story from the book? Sure. The one I particularly like is I made sure that there was at least one child using a wheelchair and she was from Thailand and had been caught up in the tsunami that Thailand experienced. And because of that accident, she was in a wheelchair. So she meets Ogie Bogie in Innerville. And Ogie Bogie says, why are you here? And she said, I don't know where I am. And Ogie Bogie says to her, well, children come here when they have a problem they need to solve. And I help them solve it with yoga. And he said, what is your concern? And she said, well, I'm just stressed all the time because I'm in the wheelchair. I've lost many of my friends. I'm feeling sad all the time and I can't do yoga. So I don't know why I'm here. And he said, of course you can do yoga. So he then teaches her how to do the sun salutation in the wheelchair and then teaches her a series of mudras that help to lift her spirits. So it's like that every child has an issue, comes to Innerville speaks with Ogie Bogie and Ogie Bogie gives them a hopeful solution to the issue that they're working with. Just 
beautiful interval. So that means for those listeners who may not have caught that, that means going inward. Yes. Speaking to your higher self. Yes. And the thing that was so interesting, because that one I self-published and I wanted to make sure that it was illustrated in a way that would be suitable for children. So I did this global search through this organization for children's book writers and illustrators. And I picked three. And then I said, well, let me find out where these people are. One of them was in Windsor, Connecticut, where I live. Oh, my God. I was floored. I called her up. I said, girl, we have to go for coffee. And we did. And I hired her to do the illustrations for the book. And she did a great job. You just love it when magnificent synchronicities happen. Yes, exactly. Have you stayed in touch with her at all? Oh, yes. We're friends on Facebook. We run into each other every so often. She works at the Historical Society because I live in the Historic District. And Mm -hmm. so the Historical Society is just down the street. So we run into each other at uh, local events. Yeah, that's really nice. Yeah, exactly. The one on Enlighten Up, that one was interesting because when I went through my training with Joseph LePage for integrative yoga therapy, Mm. he introduced me to the kosha model. And I was like, okay, that kind of makes sense. I kind of sort of get it. But it took thinking about it and working with it for almost nine months before I truly, truly got it in my cells. And then I said, well, there must be some books out there about this. There no, weren't. <laughs> there still weren't. I was no, the, closest, the closest I got was uh, BKS Iyengar's book. But of course, that's steeped in Sanskrit and the yoga tradition. And I said, but I'm teaching this to my students. So why can't I find a contemporary interpretation? I couldn't. So I wrote one. That's what Enlighten Up is. And the only reason the word kosha is not in the title is that the editor I worked with said, are you writing this for the yoga community or mainstream audiences? And I said, I'm writing it for mainstream audiences. So that's why the word kosha is not in the title. And I think that, you know, it's been a point of contention with people that we maybe aren't using the Sanskrit, but my teachers also say you have to meet the student where they are and take them where you want to go. Correct. But we do need, and I certainly do and did honor the source from where that came from. So people who are looking for references to the traditional materials will be able to find it in the book because that's important too. You don't want to just sort of take things and not attribute them to where they came from. I completely agree. And Hopefully everyone knows that by now, right? Yeah, hopefully but so. Is that one for kids also? Is that for adults? for adults? I sort of mark that as a personal growth book for adults. I didn't even know that was out there. I mean, I have many students that would like that book and I, oh. I didn't know you had written it. So I yes. will go look that up now. Okay, terrific. Thank you. So you're working with kids, you're working with adults. You were executive director of a summer camp for kids ages five to 13 and after school programs. And your main focus is stress reduction. So tell me about what stress reduction, why is that your thing? Because it's really simple. I have noticed that when people come to me or online in the yoga blogs or in the yoga community, a lot of people say, well, I need a posture to fix back pain or I need a posture to fix headaches. And the answer is 
we don't prescribe postures for conditions. What we can say is that stress is a part of every chronic situation you will ever have in your life. Yoga can definitely help you manage your stress. That we know from the research, from personal experience, because I know the first time I experienced that, this was one of my first yoga classes I took way back when I don't want to even think about how many years ago that was. I want to know. (laughs) I I don't even know. I mean, I think I must have been in my 20s, you know, so that was like over 50 years ago. And of course, like most people, I went into class because I wanted to move. I wanted the physical movement. And one of the things that was stressing me out at the time was cars. I mean, if I had a problem with my car, because I have this thing about being on time and not disappointing people. So if something happened to my car, I was in freak out mode. Mm-hmm. And one night after yoga class, I came out to my car, did not have my keys. I looked through the window. They were in the ignition. The door was locked. I walked back to the studio and some students were hanging around and I told them what happened. And they called the police and the police came over with that little window thingy, which I don't even think they use anymore. Opened the car. I got in, started the motor. I was halfway out of the parking lot when it hit me. I hadn't freaked out. Wow. I hadn't stressed at all. The whole thing was like, And that's when I knew that yoga was so much more than physical exercise. Because I said, if it could help me in a moment of stress, well, ding, 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 there you go. And it wasn't even like you said, I just took yoga. I need to calm down. It was in your physiology, it sounds like. It didn't even occur to you to freak out. No. The one thing I think that may have helped with that is that up to that point, most of the yoga classes I had taken, Shavasana, maybe three minutes. Mm. In this class, Shavasana, every class, 10 minutes minimum, guided Shavasana, Mm. and then just kind of hanging out to whatever music was playing. So I began to think, okay, the physical exercise and the movement's important, but there's something else here. And I wanted to find out what that was. And that's what kind of got me started on this whole yoga journey. And now after possibly 50 years, (laughs) what do you think that other part is? I think it is, it's stress reduction and it's understanding that underneath everything You are okay, no matter what is happening in your life. If you can get down into that well to that point, you can weather. I like to think the, you can navigate life, you know, and I like to talk about life as the good, the bad, the beautiful, and the ugly, because we're going to have all of that as we go through life. But are we going to freak out every single time something doesn't go our way? Or are we going to find a way to say, this is where I am. This is what I can do. This is what I can control. This is what I cannot control. So how am I going to manage my situation? You know, a lot of people, I have seen this. A lot of people say, well, you need to control your mind and you need to control your breath. I do not use those words. I like to use the words manage because I think that's doable, but I think 
maybe there are a few saints walking around in this world who can control their mind. I don't know anybody. Maybe you do. <laughs> I never met one yet, but that's okay. <laughs> and I'm sure not one. So. And the words that say they can do that are oftentimes not being honest. That's true. That's true. But we can all learn to manage our lives, even when they're just awful. Like I'm working on another personal growth book. And one of the things that I put in the introduction, almost as a disclaimer, is I wanted to make sure that I was not saying that with the right intention, with the right postures, with the right exercises, everything you ever want, you can have because that just bothers me about some of these programs that talk about just the right affirmation because it's like, okay, so if I get cancer, it's my fault because I didn't have the right mindset. People who find themselves as war refugees, it's their fault that their homes and communities were destroyed. No, I can't deal with that. So I just had to put that out front before I started talking about. So these are the things you can manage and deal with when they pop up in your life, because they will. And yoga can help. I really love that perspective. I agree with you about if we're so able to manifest our lives perfectly, then what does that say when we're not manifesting our lives? Thank you. Exactly. So, So when you say manage yourself, Can you give me an example? Like you gave the example of when it went well, but let's say that you're at NBC broadcasting as Mm -hmm. a high level executive there and all heck is breaking. (laughs) I'm sure that never happened in the, in the years of being a high level NBC broadcasting executive. (laughs) Does that mean you're managing your words so the wrong ones don't pop up? Does it mean you're managing your breath? Does it mean you're taking a step back? Tell me about that. Cool. All right. So this bleeds right into, there are three stages that I'm talking about in my next book of how you manage things. The first stage often without awareness is stuff and fume. And sometimes when things happen that are totally interrupt your day, sometimes the first thing you do is stuff and fume. If you are able to call in the witness, you can manage to say, oh, I'm getting ready to stuff and fume. I don't want to do that. Or I'm getting ready to give a snarky remark. I don't want to do that. But if I can engage my witness and just sort of use moment to moment awareness, take a breath, and then I can respond. Because there's always that instant, there's the stimulus, then there's this instant, just slight pause, and then there is either a reaction, stuff and fumes, snarky, feedback, whatever, or there's a response, taking a deep breath. Here's an example of that. It's a small example, but it's one that popped into my head. I belonged to a writer's group early on, and we would do a lot of vending, you know, showing up with tables and put our books out and sell them. And I read the instructions wrong, brought the wrong size table. The people I was with, well, we kind of got together and figured out how I could arrange my table without encroaching on anybody's space. The organizer came over, made a huge deal, embarrassed me in front of everybody. I apologized. I said, I'm sorry, I read the instructions wrong. Then she went, put it on Facebook, sent me a personal email, castigating me. And my first reaction was, 
to shoot back and be nasty. I took a deep breath and I said, I'm not going to respond at all. And then I got an email from the president who apologized on behalf of the organization. And I said, well, these things happen. I hope she's okay, but I'm okay. I'm not leaving the organization. So I was able, fortunately, it wasn't up close and personal face to face, but I was able to take a li- enough time so I could figure out how I could respond in the best way instead of the knee jerk way. So for me, it's the witness, Vinyana Mayakosha, which helps me do that. And if we're able to tune into that in the middle of difficult situations, it can probably save us from reactions that may come back to haunt us or reactions that could even hurt us. So that's how I think about it. And did you actually write back, I'm choosing not to respond, or did you just remove yourself and not respond? At that point to her, I did not respond because it was clear to me that anything I said to her was not ever going to be enough. So I chose to respond to the president when he contacted me because I knew I would be able to manage my response, say what I needed to say in a kind and appropriate way and not be nasty because I don't like confrontation. I've always been like that. I kind of withdraw into myself. I do not like it. So it was either stuff and fume or. You also spoke your needs and your boundaries. A lot of people who don't like confrontation, just stuff, (laughs) Uh, right? I don't know. It sounds to me like put your ego aside and act appropriately like a professional. It has to be learned. It, okay, it so that's where I want to go with it. We still have two more stages, but this one for me and the people I know, this is the hard one to not let the ego or whatever you want to call it, take mm-hmm. over in the moment before you yes. reel it in and realize, I don't want to be like that. Like yes. what, what do you do in that little moment when you're like, Oh, I want to get her. I want to make her wrong. I want to show everybody <laughs> she was unfair to me and she castigated me. And mm-hmm. this is such a, horrible person. Like, Mm. do you talk yourself off the ledge or what do you do in that moment? What I do now, I came by this the hard way over long, long years of working on this because in the past I would have responded or I would either have stuffed and fumed, which I did many times, or I would have snarked back, but carefully because if I snark out, I want to make sure I can make a quick exit. Like when I was working at the television station, I was having trouble with the guys in the production department who wouldn't listen to me because I was a woman and I was a black woman and I was a young black woman. So I was having trouble getting them to follow what I needed to do for the programs I was in charge of. So I ran into the production director's office and calmly because I had rehearsed, (laughs) I calmly said, this is the problem and I need help with it. And he looked at me like I was crazy. He turned to the news director who was sitting next to him and he said, what a bitch. Wow. Uh Uh-huh. And this was the first, I just blew up. I said, okay, maybe I'm a bitch, but I'm a good bitch and I've worked hard to be the best bitch I know how to be. And if that's all you good for you. But I had a quick exit because I knew the door was right behind me so I could get out. And then after I thought about it, I said, well, (laughs) that probably wasn't the best way to respond. But I had been stuffing and fuming for years because I'm a good girl. 
And that started. I think that's an appropriate response to what just happened. Yeah. The response you looking back wanted to give, but Mm -hmm. it was appropriate. Yeah. I gave as good as I got. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But that kind of started me thinking about this whole thing about how do you respond to people who other you or call you names? And I'm not going to say it works 100 percent of the time, but I've had enough experience with that kind of thing that I can kind of take that. I can recognize that pause between the stimulus and the response nine times out of ten. I can respond better or I make a conscious choice not to respond at all. It's not a stuffing and fuming. It's a situation. Well, this person is never going to hear me. So I'm going to use them as my teacher to develop patience because as a line that I either heard, I know I didn't make it up. I've had my patience tested and I am negative. So (laughs) (laughs) I like that one. That is amazing. So what I hear you saying is you've had some suffering and you can almost see like, oh, if I go off on this person, it's just going to come back and make pain for me. So I think I'll choose a different way. Mm -hmm. And the key word is choice. I think the witness will require you when it is awake and you are able to observe the situation. And it's almost like instantaneous. You can see what's going on outside externally. You can also check in with what's happening internally with your emotions. And then you can say, I need to make a choice. What's that choice going to be? And a lot of times with practice, it's kind of, it's almost instantaneous. Now for you. Now it's almost instantaneous. So I have several teachers. <laughs> but I'm not there yet. I mean, I, I'm getting better. You know, where I was mm-hmm. in my 20s and 30s was a disaster. And now I'm in my 50s. But I look forward to being 60s or 70s mm-hmm. and just having complete choice. Yes. To me, that's the culmination of all these years of yoga that yeah. I've been doing. Yes, the, the postures are fine and I still do what my body will allow me to do. But the most important part of the yoga practice that I have come to embrace is working with the witness. That's that's top of the line for me. All right. So that was stage one of managing yourself. And you said in your new book, you have two more stages are you well well they're basically the first stage is stuffing and fuming the second stage is snarky shoot from the hip reactions like me telling those two guys (laughs) to basically f off and the third is appropriate well thought out consciously chosen responses Mm. those are the three stages of bitchcraft that's the title of my book (laughs) Oh my gosh. Is it really witchcraft? Yeah, it's called Bitchcraft, Your Guide to Becoming Sassy and Self-Aware. And sassy has each letter stands for a quality. Strong, assertive, skillful, serene, and young at heart. And so I'm working with those qualities as I work my way through the book. When is this going to be available? I'm hoping it'll be available in early 2024 because I've finished the first draft and now I've got to polish and then I've got to edit. And I'm not expecting to get a traditional publisher. I thought I had one. Someone was really interested in the book, and but they wanted me to change the title. 
Mm-hmm. And I said, the reason I chose the title was because that was an essay, one of the essays in Enlighten Up. And I got so much positive response to that from women and men. So that's why I decided to do another nonfiction book for the mainstream audiences. I admire that, that you feel that title is the essence of what you're teaching and you're not willing to give up on it, even if that means losing a publisher. Exactly. And the title came from my son because I was going to call it the bitch has a voice and we were (laughs) celebrating his birthday. And he said, you might want to think about bitch craft because craft requires skill. And I thought, Oh, ding, ding child. Thank you. Beautiful. Yeah. So. Wow. All right. So if there's any publishers listening, (laughs) support, but you have self-published in the past also if needed. Yeah. I self-published and I've hybrid published. My choice is to either hybrid publish, or there are a couple of publishing companies out there who'll take your manuscript, edit it and get it and distribute it. I don't really call that hybrid publishing. You might call it cooperative publishing, but with hybrid publishing, you have an editor that you work with. You have an art director that you work with to develop it. That's how I did in Lighten Up. That's how I did Soul Food, which is the book of short stories that came out earlier this year. So yeah, it'll depend on what I'm dealing with. I don't have to make that decision yet. Okay. So we just have to take a brief little shift into Soul Food. It's a book of stories plus recipes. Oh, actually no recipes. Although I did think about putting them in there, but it got to be a little bit much. So it's soul food, life affirming stories served with side dishes and just desserts because I'd like to get humor in wherever I can. And it's a group of stories that use the whole concept of being self-aware and how you move through your life and the difficulties. And I have a group of characters. Each story stands on its own. But if you read it from front to back, you will see how certain characters pop up in different stories. And then the last story brings them kind of all together. And I get this creative spirit. I don't know. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and it's there or I'm driving somewhere and an idea will pop into my head or my writing group, which meets twice a month for three hours at a time, we have writing prompts. And so if I'm given a prompt and I want to share something, I come up with something that I share a workshop in the group, and sometimes it'll turn into a story and sometimes it won't. And I know I've heard of these writing groups. What percentage of what you write actually ends up being for public consumption? For me, most of it. Really? Yes. Yes, because some people in the group write just to share with other people, but I'm a recovering perfectionist. If I'm going to put all that time and effort into something, I want something concrete to come out the other end. (laughs) So I am too. That's why I can't imagine. I hear my stepfather talk about his writing group and how he wrote this big story and then it didn't work out. And I'm like, what do you mean 20 hours didn't work out? (laughs) I know if it's something you want, you can take the suggestions or not, because I find that they're my teachers, because when you're sharing your work and people's brains are wired differently, and there's at least one person in my group, her critiques of my work are always the same. We need to have more emotion. We need to have more feeling. 
And I'm like, that's for people who write memoirs and those kinds of stories. I write to entertain and make people laugh and to give them information that's going to help them work their lives. And I want to tell stories, but I don't want to rip anybody's heart out. I mean, there's enough of that. All you have to do is watch the news. That's why people come to yoga classes, just to sort of get catch a break. Mm-hmm. And I, that's part of this idea of self-awareness and self-management is knowing we've gone too far on TikTok or the mm-hmm. news wherever we're spending our time and say, nope, I'm choosing to yes. come back into balance. Absolutely. And that's just crucial for managing your life in a way that is as healthy as you can possibly make it. It's not going to fix everything, but it heals everything. I mean, yoga heals and fixing is a side effect, which is nice if it happens, but that's how I look at it. Beth, as I'm listening to you, you're a compassionate, kind person. You're a funny person. You're a self-aware person. You're able to manage yourself. And it feels to me like you know exactly who you are and you're willing to let yourself shine. Mm-hmm. Be the best Beth that you can possibly be. Tell us about that. How did you get there? I think so many people want to name a book bitch crap and they just can't let themselves do it. <laughs> well, it took a bunch of years, you know, because for so many years, I was basically hearing the lessons I got from the women in my family, my mom, my great aunt, and my favorite cousin. And it was always not necessarily what they said, but it was what I saw. And it was, you have to work hard. You will get an education. You will get a good job. You will be a credit to the race. That's what I heard. And I remember I couldn't have been more than five years old. And my aunt who lived next door to us was a foster mother for some kids. And one of the kids was a teenager named Dorothy. And I remember once I was standing next to the garden and I was talking to Dorothy in my little five-year-old way. And I said to her, so Dorothy, what college are you going to go to? And she looked at me and she said, I'm not going to college. See me totally shocked. Totally shocked. It was unbelievable to me that somebody would not go to college because that's what had been ingrained in me from day one. And it took, oh my goodness, it took me getting TMJ, rashes, headaches, um, anxiety. What else? I mean, constipation, all those things. And finally, after I started going to yoga classes and after that experience in the car, I began to think, hmm. And so I started to really look at what was going on. And then when I took my yoga training and Joseph introduced me to the kosha model, I thought, well, that's a lot better than mind body. I mean, That's telling me I have a physical body. I have breath and energy. I've got my mind and my emotions. I've got my witness and I've got bliss. Okay, bliss thing. What brings me bliss? So I had to begin to think about all of those things. And as I was teaching the koshas in a contemporary fashion to my yoga students who were basically coming for back pain, insomnia, those kinds of things, Joseph always said, give them some of what they want and some of what they need. 
So we would do the gentle, restorative, all level yogas classes for whoever showed up. But I would slide in all those little messages about, you know, the koshas and how important it was to think about how you're breathing and what your energy is like. So through that process, I finally said, well, you know what? I'm okay the way I am. It's fine that I went to college and got a good job and did all that stuff. But even if I hadn't, I'm okay the way I am. So now, Beth, what do you want to do? And so in addition to working my full-time job and dealing with the family, I taught my yoga classes and I was doing a little bit of writing on the side. And then when I free tired from running camp, I said, okay, I'm going to continue teaching yoga, but I'm going to add in this writing and all this creative stuff that's been bubbling up forever. It's coming out. And so are you saying you got this confidence and this sense of self as an adult because yes. of yoga? It wasn't there in the beginning. It wasn't there in the beginning. I think yoga is a huge piece of it. Some of it is probably age because I think as you age and you look at what happens in your life and you look at the people around you, you do start to go through, well, the ashramas, the life stages, you know, you finish being a householder and you go into the forest dweller. So I think some of it was natural and some of it was yoga. And then some of it was just my own curious, stubborn mind. Here I are. <laughs> I think the tapas for me right now that I'm trying to get to, and this is as a woman who's asking for your wisdom, I can't really decide if I want to be the nice girl who's all sattvic and has total control at all times, or if I just want to be totally real and say the word bitch on a podcast. Like, yes. tell me about that. Tell me about how you decided to just be completely real and not try to fit into this idea of what a yoga woman should be. Yeah. I mean, some of it I learned from Joseph because you know how some leaders of yoga schools kind of put themselves on a pedestal, or if they don't put themselves on the pedestal, their students will put them on a pedestal. Yeah. And Joseph was always, if he felt anybody, at least this was my experience of him, if he felt that anybody was trying to put him on a pedestal, he might cuss or do something inappropriate <laughs> to disabuse them of that. But his wisdom was like over the top. And so I watched that and I said, well, he is himself warts and all. So I guess I can be myself warts and all. And everybody can be themselves, warts and all. And there will be sometimes when you want to say the word bitch or F off. And sometimes when you want to be sattvic and what's wrong with experiencing all of it? It's just so much more real. I think yes. what, what did you call it? The stuff and. Oh, stuffing and fuming. Snarky stuffing. Yeah. The stuffing and fuming. I mean, I think if we try to pretend we don't have these emotions and that we don't get angry and we don't feel like mm -hmm. being appropriate, it's just stuffing that can only lead to TMJ and rashes and anxiety and headaches and castration. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> all at the same time. <laughs> all at the same time. And sometimes instead of the stuffing and fuming being unconscious, if you're able in that moment to say, this is not a moment for me to act out. 
So I will consciously make a decision not to do that. That I think that is a little bit different than just having the reaction and not understanding why you're having it or where it's coming from. But when you know where it's coming from and you know where it sits in your body and you can tune in and you're like, oh my God, I feel like a volcano is right in my gut and going to explode. I can watch this but I don't have to explode in front of everybody else. I can watch it and consciously say, okay, get it up, bring it up to come out. And then I'm going to take a deep breath and make a conscious choice to respond in a certain way. And then some days you're like, oh, I see the volcano. Good. Letting it rip. (laughs) (laughs) You just have to know when it's kind of appropriate or when you're aware of the possible consequences and you're okay with those consequences coming your way. Yeah. I think that, and again, that goes back to choice and being conscious and being able to manage that pause. Mm -hmm. I think that is the key right there. That pause. Absolutely. It's like in the book enlighten up, I say, the reason we talk about all of this is because we want to either, we have three choices in life. We can either choose to make a change We can choose to keep things as they are as long as we are aware of the consequences that will come and we are willing to accept them. Or if no change is possible, like say you have a chronic illness, it's going to be terminal. There's no change that's possible. You have to find a way to find acceptance around that so that you can say, all right, this is it. This is what it is. And I'll have to manage it somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Because life is like that, like it or not. I think that's one of the things I love about your message today is that life is probably going to be difficult. It's going to have suffering. Things are going to happen. Colleagues are going to act like jerks, Mm -hmm. all the things. And it's our choice, what inner experience we want to have. Right. Right. And sometimes the inner experience is going to come unbidden, but as long as we see it coming up, Like most of us, I think if we've practiced yoga long enough, we kind of know where the emotions live in our body. We know when we're feeling a certain emotion, if we tune into the body, we know where it's sitting, either in the low back, in the gut, in the neck, in the upper back, in the head. And we say, okay, I know who you are. All right. I see you. Now I've just got to deal around you. But if we are not able to identify the emotion, then we can't make an appropriate response. And if over time we're able to say, okay, I have this emotion or I have this habit, I recognize it, I can name it, I can label it. The next question is, where did it come from? What is the source of it? Can I trace it back? And earlier I used the example of some of my stress was due to the messages that I had heard that I had seen and picked up from the women in my life. And when I was able to trace that back, I said, oh, that's where it came from. So I appreciate them all. I see what they did, but I am enough the way I am. And if folks don't want to accept that, Well, that's their choice. I choose to be me and I choose to reduce the amount of stress that I'm going to carry around on my back and in my gut. (laughs) So I think once you make that choice, it just you've made it or do you have to keep making it over and over? You have to keep making it over and over. It's like self-awareness. You don't get it and keep it. It ebbs and it flows and it comes and it goes. I like to say it's a marathon, not a sprint. So you have 
a positive experience where you're sattvic and you make the wonderful response. And then the next minute you snap off, but <laughs> you're quicker at saying, Oh, I see what I did. All right. Yeah. Let me think about that a little bit. So it's like, ding, 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 ding. but that's life. And what I love about this is there's no assumption that any of us is going to be perfect. It's assumed mm-hmm. we're not going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Yep. And when I realized that was when I stopped being a maladaptive perfectionist, always worrying about, always judging others and judging myself and doing all of that. And it's kind of funny because what I did once I came to that realization is I actually wrote and delivered a 10 minute stand up comedy routine on being a recovering perfectionist. Okay, where can we see that? (laughs) It's on my website. If you go to a blog and you type in perfectionism, the blog post will pop up. And if you scroll down to the bottom, the video is there because they sent it to me. I'm bringing up your website right now. (laughs) We can find this together. All right. So your website is Beth. Yes, Yes, that's it. So you want to go to home and then scroll down to search. All the way at the bottom of the home. All the way at the bottom. Further, 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 and then type in perfectionism. Okay. And I'll put this in the show notes, everybody. Uh, Nobody loves perfect. There you go. That's a video of you. Well, that's the blog post. And if you scroll down to the bottom, that's my closet. If you scroll all the way down to the bottom, there it is. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm first of all, your closet does look pretty perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I can't give that one up. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Please help me. (laughs) That's a beautiful closet. I thought you were going to tell us that you gave that up as part of your perfectionism, but. Oh, I'm recovering. It just like an addiction. I am recovering, but I'm so much better than I used to be so Mm -hmm. much better. Well, yeah. I can't wait to watch the oh, good. I hope you enjoy it because yeah. I used yoga. I used the kleshas as part of it. I think in the blog post, I may have actually talked about kleshas in the comedy routine. I did not because I was talking to a mainstream audience. So I just used the English words. Yeah. That was one of the things that was on my bucket list was to do a stand up comedy routine. So I can cross that one off. You have so much life and vitality and creativity pulsing through you. Have you always had that? I think I have, but it took a while for it to come out for Mm -hmm. me to be okay with it because I was always so proper. But I remember in the third grade, I started writing and I would hide things under my bed, little things that I would write. I think one of the first poems was on dental hygiene. Yeah, it went up and down, up and down. That's how my toothbrush goes to town. Cleaning my white horses, gleaming clean to keep my teeth from turning green. (laughs) And I would just stuff all this stuff under my bed in little boxes. And how old were you when you wrote that? How old is third grade? Maybe eight, seven or eight? Eight or nine, somewhere in there. Yeah, Yeah, somewhere around in there. Mm -hmm. Gosh, adorable. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's just all popping out. And I just want to get it all out before I transition off the planet. Okay. Then I have one last question. If that's mm-hmm. where you take me, tell me about transitioning off the planet. Are you scared of it? Are you excited about it? Are you? <laughs> well, when I think about that, I think about what Woody Allen said once. I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. 
<laughs> or be in pain while it happens. Yeah. I want to go like my mom went. 102. She had all her marbles. She just walked down the stairs one morning and dropped just like that. 102. And she was functioning pretty well. We tried to keep her on one floor because she had upstairs and downstairs. And we tried to keep her on one floor. We set up a little, you know, potty area in the dining room and all of that stuff and put a gate up against the stairs. She took her cane, whacked that gate down. (laughs) And she walked up the stairs. And another thing that was so funny is the home improvement guy that I used to work on on my house, my mom needed a new roof. So I sent him down. I said, you fix my mom's roof. And he came back and he said, do you know that your mother climbed out the second floor window to check our work on the roof? He said, I could not believe it. I said, that's my mom. And how old do you think she was at that point? A hundred Oh, no. Yeah. Wow. I know. Wow. So I want to go like that. I want to have everything in place because she had me find her a lawyer. We got all her paperwork done when she was in her early 90s. And then we had a family contract. My brother would handle the yard work and her meals. My sister-in-law would take care of her personal hygiene. So she did not have to leave her house. Mm -hmm. So she was in her house when she passed. And I handled the legal and financial things so that I would pay them to do that work for the family. So that's what I'm planning on doing. As a matter of fact, this summer, my goal is to get all my paperwork completed and give a nice, complete folder notebook to my son. So this is what your mama wants, and this is what's going to happen, and this is going to be ready, and I just hope I go like my mom. Just fire it all the way down the way and then just drop. And Beth, you can say no thank you, but how old are you? How young? I'm going to be 80 this year. Oh my goodness. You are radiant. I would have (laughs) guessed that, but I guess that's a good time to get it in order. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. While you've got all your marbles and you can make a good lawyer, get all your finances in order so that there's no trouble for the family. Right. What a blessing for your son. Yeah. Family. He's a good kid. So Uh, yeah. Is there anything else you want to share with us? A wise wisdom? Um, or something funny. Here's something I posted on. It doesn't really have to do with yoga. I don't think, but when my manager tells me that I need to post a minimum of three times a week. So I do, but on Fridays, I always post a joke. So the joke I posted last Friday was an original joke. And it was said, Talking to computers is so frustrating. When you get customer service online and a computer says to you, press one for English and two for Spanish, wouldn't it be nice if they also added press three for a human being? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. What I'm going to post tomorrow, I have to go through my one liners and stuff and see, but I call it funny Friday. And every single Friday I post a joke. What's your Facebook handle? Hang on a second. Facebook is www.facebook.com slash Beth A. Gibbs. Mm. I'll put all of your contact information in the show notes. How about you post this video? This I will just send me the link. Okay. I'll yeah, absolutely. It. I'll post it more than once. Happy to. Oh, good. Do you mind if I post it? Not at all. I'll post okay. it on my pages and I'm also going to post it on yoga for healthy aging. You know, Nina. 
Yes, yes. Well, Nina's yes. one who recommended that we get together. Yes, that's right. So she just made me one of the administrators. So <laughs> for Yoga for Healthy Aging on Facebook. So I'll post it there as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Beth. It has been my pleasure. I've had a smile on my face the whole time. Oh, good, 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 good. So Laughter is medicine. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. A big thank you to Beth. I think this is one of my favorite interviews, which is so interesting. Of course, I love them all, but this one was personal. You know, this idea that Beth brought to us about the ability to use yoga to help you kind of become more self-aware so that you can identify the emotions before they take over and make you do things you regret, but not just identify them in your head, but also in your body. Where do those emotions reside in your body? And then she said, trace those emotions back. Those emotions are not necessarily just right here, right now, those go back. They have tentacles that go back. And that's why sometimes our emotions end up appearing and feeling bigger than they maybe are appropriate just for that one moment, that something triggers us and we get a much bigger response than that one moment would normally allow. So we trace it back to all the tentacles, to the old stuff that's stuck in there that hasn't been digested and hasn't been processed. And I think that's a really challenging thing to do. You have to have courage. You have to have strength to do that for yourself. But here's the part that she added that I'm in love with. She said, I am enough as I am. Full stop. I am enough as I am. In my imperfection, I am still enough as I am. Even when you lose it at work and tell people off, you are still enough as you are. Even as you don't act the way you want to act with your family and you go back and try to make up, you are still enough as you are. Even when you, and I'm putting in quotation marks in the air, air quotations, even when you fail, you are enough just as you are. Even when you disappoint yourself, you are enough just as you are. You are human. This is what it means to be human and to have self-compassion and to be able to self-soothe and to be able to forgive yourself and to be able to love yourself even when maybe you don't act the way you wished you had. <laughs> I think that's a really big deal. And I'm glad that Beth shared that with us today. And that will be something that I reflect on. What is stopping me from feeling like I'm enough? What are the obstacles to feeling enough just as I am? And I hope maybe you'll reflect on that too. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you to Beth. And let's all go to the show notes and watch her 10 minute stand up comedy called Nobody Loves Perfect. All right. Thanks, everyone. A special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria. And Peter Morley, 
who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.